wants his, this expression of love within their fellowship to be deepened and strengthened. Uh, he's giving a urgent call to these believers who are exposed to testing and disappointment. Uh, at this point in their young Christian lives, they were facing persecution. I think you can see that in verse 33 and verse 34 of chapter 10. And perhaps being uh, tempted to forsake everything they knew. But the writer here is going to give them a call. A call to consider one another. But the only reason he's able to give them this call to consider one another is because they have been, been made able to enter the very presence of God accepted through, through Christ. And the intimacy that they have received with God Almighty should then flow into their concern and care for one another. And so very very first thing we see in verse 24, as we start out, is a call. A call. He says in verse 24, And let us consider one another. The word consider there is a word that means to Think and ponder. It's significant that this word consider is used here. For the writer here wants us to take a, 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 a he, wants, he demands us to take a concentrated thought and be alert to the needs of our body. In this book, this letter, Christians are brothers and sisters in the same family. They are partakers or partners in the same enterprise. They're members of the same household. So they have not only a responsibility to hold fast themselves, but also to encourage their fellow believers to do the same. And John Wesley uh, often reminded his, his people, the words of a friend, he said, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. And what he meant by that is that Our growth in Christ is a community project. It's certainly, we receive our salvation individually, don't we, and personally. Uh, Your father can't can't come to Christ uh, on your behalf. Uh, Each person is individually responsible. But when God saves us, He places us into a body where you are actually in Christ closer to the people in the body of Christ through Christ than you are to your blood brothers and sisters and so in this passage the exhortation is not simply to, uh, to to fellowship with each other but to stimulate activity in the work of Christ with each other in fact and uh, when there were state churches in even the U.S. in the early days, the colonial days, or, and even uh, in, in, in uh, some of the European countries, um, there were com- congregations that pulled out of the state churches. They're called nonconformist congregations. And many of them had these words in their church covenants. Churches used to have church covenants where they were pledged uh, to, to, by God's grace to be all they could for, for each other and to look out for each other. Um, and they had these words in their church covenant that they're required to sign before joining a local church. We engage to watch over one another in love. Taken from these verses here. 
Now, he says, let us consider one another. And what he means by this is that in order for what he's going to talk about afterward, that that God wants to see happen in our churches, something more than an individual effort is needed if good and love works are to be fostered. There needs to be a body action. Uh, There needs to be some thought in the clearly deciding how the... um, the the uh, love and good works that are stimulated can best be done. Now, so that word consider means to direct the mind towards and reflect on. It's used in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse uh, 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Consider. To direct your mind toward and reflect on. In other words, you are being urged to focus your mind and your energy on the needs of your fellow members. Which, by the way, means you've got to take your mind off of yourself in order to think about others, right? Uh, In order to spur, to provoke, to stimulate them to love and good deeds. Now, in order to fulfill this responsibility, this call... It means that we have to possess a care and a concern for each other. And so that's the call. Let us consider one another. Fix your mind, direct your mind toward, reflect on the needs of the people sitting in this room. Of your fellow members. Why? For the purpose of what? Here's the purpose. Verse 24 to provoke unto love and to good works. That word provoke is the idea of stirring up, stimulating. It means to incite. You know, you can incite some things that are negative, right? You can incite violence. You can incite riots, right? You can also incite enthusiasm. You can also incite good things, movements here. What's interesting is that word that's translated in this particular translation, provoke, is used in Acts chapter 15.39 in a negative sense. Um, And the story is that Paul and Barnabas were going to go on a missions trip, and Barnabas wanted to take a man named John Mark with them. And John Mark had, had, had gone on their first missionary trip, but he had left them. And so Paul didn't feel that he could be trustworthy to take on the second trip. He needed dependable people. Barnabas says, let's give him another chance. And Acts chapter 15 and verse 39 says, and the contention, that's how it's translated in this verse, the contention, the provocation, was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren on the grace of God. And that way it's used, it's used in a negative sense. Uh, the, the irritation between them was so intense they split up. And God in the sovereign purposes uses that um, to, to double the efforts there. But this is used in a positive sense. To stimulate here. To stimulate. And what that tells us is this. That um, the considering one another in order to stir up love and good works isn't just going to happen, is it? In other words, there needs to be an effort in this. It needs to be worked at. It needs to be stimulated. Loving one another is not a passive thing. Why? Because sometimes we think, we talk about God's love, and we just picture God as just up there in heaven with this passive love. He just loves. 
He just loves. But God loves very actively. Very actively. His love is like a sunbeam that shines down. And it is active. And it is powerful. And it is concentrated. And so it's one thing for me to say, well, I love everybody. It's another thing for me to think about, well, what does that mean? And how do I show that? Because love is not a feeling primarily. Love is an action. It is an action. And so it needs to be worked at. It needs to be provoked. It needs to be stimulated in order to produce the good works. And so this combination of love and good works needs to be understood that love has an outcome. It has an outcome. It produces something. And so the writer says um, in verse 24, Let us consider one another to provoke into love and to good works. That word good, it just doesn't really, we just don't really get it translated into English language. The best uh, uh, sense of it is the idea of noble works. Noble works. Uh, An attractiveness about these works. Works that are so self-evidently good that there can be no doubt that their value exists. These are, these are works that, that, has a, that have a true value. So that's the purpose. The call is to consider one another. The purpose is so that we stimulate one another to love and good works. But there's the how. He tells us how that's to happen. How? He says in verse 25, not forsaking, abandoning the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So he says, it's not this in a negative sense. It is this in a positive sense. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So if the theme of the book of Hebrews is that you hold fast to the confession of faith that you've made. Because he has holding fast to you. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promise. That's what he's telling the readers over and over. Hold fast. Don't quit. Don't give up. Then that tells us that it's not a matter of me gritting my teeth and grim determination. Ultimately. But you know what a big part of it is? It's a matter of active and mutual commitment. Mutual commitment. And not building. He's already alluded to that in chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, but in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, abandoning. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another, he says, daily. So not just on Sunday once a week, but continually hold to the confession through mutual commitment, mutual upbuilding. So there's a, there's a negative part here. Not neglecting to gather together. And then there's a positive, but encouraging or exhorting one another. Exhorting. And the idea here is this, that Christians have the responsibility... You and I have the responsibility to strengthen each other. To lift up the weary arms. To make strong the feeble knees, spiritually speaking. Uh, uh, they, we have the, the, the responsibility to strengthen and stimulate one another. Can you imagine a church that took this seriously? What would that look like? 
How amazing would that be? A church that holds fast to perfection by considering what are the needs? How can I encourage? How can I build up people? How can I provoke them to love and the good works? How can I stimulate them to love and good works? Uh, how, how can I not find excuses to, 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 to not get together, but find reasons to do it? Uh, how can I uh, exhort one another, build them up? And you know what? It's not supposed to be a pipe dream. It's not supposed to be a hypothetical thing. It's supposed to be a real thing. Have a positive and a helpful outcome here. Close and regular fellowship with other believers is not an, a nice idea and something that maybe uh, we do at Christmas or maybe we do at certain seasons of the year. But the idea here is that close and regular fellowship with other believers is an absolute necessity for you to persevere in your faith. For the encouragement of the truth of God's word. And this tells us then. That without the proper environment. The gathering of ourselves together. There is no reason. That provoking a love. Is possible. How we provoke the love. If we're not with each other. Uh, there are not going to be suitable opportunities. For the stirring process to take effect. Uh, the, 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 the words here, not neglecting to meet together. Um, we have, uh, over the years, used those to say we need to gather on Sundays. And that's part of it. Alright? But it's more than that. It's more than that. Because look how he describes the gathering together. The gathering together is to look like us together provoking to love and good works, us together exhorting one another. That doesn't happen that much on Sundays, is it? Right now you have one person here who is trying to exhort, right? But he says exhorting one another. So if that only means Sundays, then we've got to do something radical for our Sundays, don't we? But I think it means Sundays and more. And more. Together and more. Um, obviously there had been some who have been neglecting to meet with the Christian brethren. If you want to see what a worship service um, in the early church may have looked like, read the book of Acts. There's several places where they describe their gatherings together. And then read 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. What would happen in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 is the church would gather together. And the church, churches were, were much smaller because they had to meet in homes. Logistically, so there are multiple congregations, uh, they would gather together. Normally their pattern was they would have a meal together. Have a meal together. Um, out of that meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. So it was a real, real food meal and the Lord's Supper together. It wasn't a little table up here in the front um, where everybody sits somber with their heads down and we passed off a little tiny bite. I was talking to Birch Champion about this yesterday and he said the first time is his, uh, his boys took the Lord's Supper. He said, that was a little snack. <laughs> um, it, it was, uh, how do I know it wasn't, uh, wasn't just a little, uh, a little snack? Because uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, he tells them, some of you are getting drunk at these things and being gluttons. Um, 
they would have the uh, they would have the the, 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 the Lord's Supper at, at, kind of integrated into their meal together, and then when you read First Corinthians twelve and First Corinthians thirteen and fourteen. The idea was these gatherings were to promote love. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. It's in that context. And verse chapter 12 is about their different gifts that would be displayed during their gatherings. And verse four, chapter 14, he talks about, here's the order of what that's to look like. Um, when you come, Paul says, you come to contribute something. You don't come to just sit there to receive so when you walk into that house and you gather together for a meal, you come to contribute something. It might be a psalm, it might be a hymn, it might be a prayer, etc. Here he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21 to 23, down that way there. But the idea is, 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 is very different than what um, uh, we have turned services into, isn't it? Um, sometimes there's, uh, in, the, in the 1500s, there's a break from the Catholic Church, the Protestant Reformation. But there's some carryover, some of the customs and stuff. Uh, but it looked very different in the early church. And that's why I can say here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, that this considering one another to provoke into love and good works through the assembling of ourselves together, through the exhortation, wasn't just sitting through a Sunday morning message. That's only part of it because it's only one person exhorting. The idea here is for one another, all of us to be doing that. Can you imagine a church where it would be annoying because everybody's exhorting you to love and good works and telling you how wonderful God is? Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? Yeah, someone's already told me that today. Yeah, and they did and they did too, right? So-and-so reminded me of our future hope. So-and-so reminded me of how, yes, I failed, but Jesus has, has paid for that sin and He offers His forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Does your heart long for that? And mine does, and I'm part of the problem and not part of the answer. Um, and, 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 and the idea here oh, um, is that we work together for the glory of God. And we provide space and structures here for this provoking one another to love and good works happen to happen. The problem is, um, because there's sin present in us, uh, some of us can act more like referees than players. You know what? You know what referees do? They run around the field and they blow their whistle and point out the wrongs, right? They got the striped shirt on. Their job is to point out what you did wrong and to stop you, right? Um, and that's sadly how some people act. But players are involved in the game. See, the referees don't play the game. They don't play the game. But folks, we're all in the game together. We're all in this together. And I'm not saying that we don't need confrontation of our sin, because that's part of this exhortation for broken love and works. But we need grace as we do it. Um, one of the one of the leaders in the Protestant Reformation wrote this in his day, his observation. He says, "There is so much peevishness in almost everyone that individuals, if they could, would gladly make their own churches for themselves." This warning is therefore more than needed by all of us that we should be encouraged to love rather than hate, and that we should not separate ourselves from those who are joined to us by a common faith. Now, 
what would it look like to maybe form our, our, our Sunday gatherings around this idea a little bit? All right. Well, I, I think that there are two ways, uh, two things that need to be true in our churches in order to be um, complete, more complete. We need an air war and a ground war. Um, when the United States uh, would have to deal with an enemy, they always send in the bombers first, right? The Tomahawk cruise missiles, etc. And they take care of the big targets, right? Um, and that might be what we're doing right now, the air war, where one person is exhorting everyone. And I do not demean that at all, okay? But that's not the full picture, is the point here. Um, so what would it look like even in our Sunday gathering um, if, if, if we put some of this in the, in, into, into play? Well, <clears throat> it all starts with how you walk into the gathering. How you walk into those doors. And understand, church is not a building, okay? But it all starts with how you walk into those doors. <laughs> this might seem trite and strange, but pray about where you sit. Pray about where you sit. What do you mean, pray about where I sit? Well, <laughs> what do you think about when, you, when you're on your way to gather with other believers? Whether that's at somebody's home or on Sunday. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about how the church exists for you and what they can give you? And whether you like that song or whether you those verses are your favorite or whether or not so-and-so put on that perfume that you cannot stand. Is that what goes through your mind? Or is it, I exist to serve the church. Does the church exist to serve me? It does in a certain sense. Okay. But that's not the mindset we need to go into things with. We need to go into the, into the gathering and, and in gathering with other believers. How can I serve others? How can I serve others? Christ has henceforth redeemed ourselves, not so that we live for ourselves, but so that we live for others. And, and instead of uh, thinking about, oh boy, are we singing that song again? Or I don't like that, or I like the tune, or I don't like the words. Church is a place, the gathering is a place where Christians go to work. Where we go to work. We put our gifts to work. Where we hear His word, we respond in faith to Jesus. We're in fellowship with each other through the blood of Jesus. We use our gifts and our abilities to strengthen one another and build Christ's church. The word is edified uh, frequently. So go into the church, into the church, the gatherings, or with other believers, or into the world in that stretch. But in this context here, uh, thinking, how am I going to serve others? How am I going to serve others? Even where I'm going to sit to serve. Um, because you're going to be talking to people. And not all of us are, are good at talking to people. We're, we're bad at small talk, and small talk bores us, and we don't know how to, how to, how to ask them how their week went, and, and what, they're, what they're learning in the Word of God, uh, what they're understanding in God's Word. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And the shift then is made from you being the... Um, the, the, the one who's being helped to the one who helps. The one who serves. The served to the servant. Our gatherings where we get our spiritual food and encouragement to become more like Christ. It's also, though, where we go in order 
to help feed other people, to distribute the spiritual food, the spiritual bread and encourage them. And that's a huge way of how we become Christ-like. Other thing is, of course, bring others to, you, to our your gatherings. Our Sunday gathering, or if you're or a gathering with other believers. Think through helping people. Instead of being a passive pew-sitter and receiver to being active. You can make a difference. You can contribute to this. Instead of your conversation always being about well, the football game today or, or uh, why you hate football, <laughs> um, uh, let it be about Christ. Ephesians 4 says we're to speak the truth in love. What can you do before you gather? Do you, just, you know, slip in you know, at 1044 or whatever? What can you do to get before you gather? What can you do uh, as you gather? What can you do at the end of you gather? As soon as it's over, you're out the door here. Prepare yourself. When you come, we're working chronologically through this book of the Bible, right? So you have an idea of what the text is going to be. So, prepare yourself with the Word of God. Uh, 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 talk about what you're going to uh, go over today in the Word of God. What the message might be about. Uh, attend to newcomers' needs. If they can't find their way around the Bible or, or uh, need, need information, help them out. Uh, uh, this, is, this, is your, this is not the pastor's meeting here. This is the church's meeting here. What do you do after the Word of God is preached? Discuss the Word of God. Discuss the Word of God. You've heard the Word of God. You've spent uh, uh, a, a time processing it. Um, uh, start up a spiritual conversation. Some of, you have, some of you have never done that. You've never done that. Because it's uncomfortable. And you know how you get over uncomfortable things? You do it. You do it. And it becomes less uncomfortable. Um... What did, you, what did you get out of the sermon? Um, that question might put your neighbor into a coma. All right? Um, or, I didn't know Ab- the Bible says that Abel was a prophet. I didn't know that. What makes someone a prophet? And Bible discussions. doesn't mean that you can't talk about the th- ordinary things of life, but have some fruitful conversations, right? Uh, if the conversation doesn't get off the ground, then your enthusiasm for learning the Bible and finding new things and, and, and an angle on that text that you hadn't seen before is contagious. And, and, and the Bible's not dull. It's, it's not boring. Hollywood's boring. The Bible is not boring. It's alive. So discuss God's word with, with each other. What about with your families when you go home around the table? What did you learn in Sunday school, Junior? Nothing. <laughs> um, uh, what did you learn in the message? Or is there something that you had not thought of? Or what do you think about Jesus being our high priest? What does that mean for us? Um, Etc. But I want to tell you the, the simplest way. To do what we're talking about right here was something that was a pattern in the early church. They prayed together. They prayed together. How can I pray for you? Are there things this week that it would be helpful for me to pray? Now listen, 
the person who has the referee suit on, you don't tell them those things. Right? Because <laughs> they just use prayer as a gossip time. But people who genuinely care about you, how can I pray for you? You tell them. You tell them. That means you have to tell them everything. It might not be, it might not be at a, a point in your life where that's where that's comfortable yet, um, or you're ready to. But you got to start. You got to start. How can I pray for you? Um, you can do that with unbelievers. I mean, it opens up all kinds of conversations. It lets them know that you do care for them and you love them. And you trust that our God is a God we can pray to. Who's concerned. He's a God of our of providence. That's just suggestions for in our Sunday gathering. But this verse isn't just about that, is it? No. And I'm going to have Birch come next week. And he said, is it alright if I preach on this? I'm like, yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Acts 2, 42-47. Church after Pentecost, they gathered together. It was a big deal to them. They went from house to house, breaking bread. Um, they, they really enjoyed each other. They acted like they were the church outside of the church. Isn't that weird? Isn't that great? It's exciting. So, this is, so that's what I call the ground war. How about meeting together with some other believers and reading through the Bible together, a portion of the Bible at a time? A chapter in Mark or a psalm together. Um, Listen, if all you do is you come in a Sunday service and you get your intake and you leave and that's it, that's like me going to the grocery store Getting my food and leaving it in the trunk all week. And open the trunk and it's rotten. I've done that, by the way. Not all of it, but left some things in the trunk. And produce found it later. Kind of fell behind something. The purpose of going to the grocery store and getting your food is to, is to eat and share it with your family so you can eat, right? But look in the rest of the verse. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together... Here's the how, <clears throat> as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, and here's what he says. Here's the fourth thing. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is written about 2,000 years ago, okay? And the writer there is saying, the day of Christ's return, his day of reckoning is approaching, and it's approaching closer and closer. So we need to get together more as believers. Today it's 2016. We're not any farther away from that day. We're much closer, aren't we? The writer uses that word, the day, approaching in a New Testament way here. A day of reckoning connected with the second coming of Christ. And here's what he's saying. He's saying what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18 and Colossians. He says to, to redeem the time, to buy back the time because the days are evil. In other words, we need to engage vigorously in this ministry of encouragement. Because our opportunities are twofold. They are, on one hand, immense. 
The opportunities to build each other up are immense as we get to know each other. And on the second hand, our opportunities are limited. They're limited. The day is approaching. And and the idea is, right now there are many avenues of service. There are many ways we can provoke one another love and good works. There are many ways we can uh, exhort one another. But the day is drawing near when we can no longer serve in this way. And when when that day is here, rather than near, we will all wish that we had done so much more. And in the light of Christ's return, the writer here tells us the positive and negatives. We should stir each other up and we should not be absent from each other. Have you noticed? Do you know people who have fallen away from the faith? You you, you have people in mind that have fallen away from the faith that your heart breaks for. They want nothing to do with God. The true God of the Bible. Have you noticed that it starts with more and more infrequent getting together with other believers? You know, as someone has illustrated, it's like all the logs in the fire and you take one log away and that log goes out much quicker before the rest. So do you understand why these verses are an exhortation for us, an encouragement for us that our sanctification, our growth in Christ is a community project? Yes, we have personal disciplines. But our growth in Christ is a community project. So here's the reason. Here's the reason why. Because the day of Christ is rapidly getting closer. It is rapidly getting closer. Notice, he does not say this. Do this less and less as your life becomes more and more busy. That's an American lie. He says, get together more and more as believers because the day is approaching. Our life together in this imperfect, broken world and the church is imperfect is to be a foretaste of heaven. And if we don't prepare ourselves to get together now, Wouldn't it seem odd that we would enjoy that in heaven? So the reason is, do this so much the more as you see the day approaching. And what would that look like? I need your help on that. But here's some suggestions. You eat 21 meals a week, right? Normally. At least 14. Do things with people. Me and Birch were talking about this last night. <clears throat> we said if we really believe we were family, we were family. Like you, you are, you're my brothers and my sisters. You know what we would shed? We would shed the independent New England self-sufficient spirit. Hey, you need help on your wood? I'll come over. We wouldn't be hesitant to ask people for help. 
like you would your brother or your sister. Hey, you want to come over and pick this with me or do that or whatever? Hey, we're going to have such and such. You want to come over and we'll do this together. If we really believe that we are the family of God and not a bunch of strangers, we would do this, wouldn't we? And so, I think it's striking that the reason I don't do this is because I don't love enough. Think about the Lord Jesus. He's always our best illustration. Because he's the perfect illustration. He loved to be with his disciples. He had to get away from them sometimes to just pray, didn't he? But he loved to be with them. And on the very night of his death, what is he doing with his disciples? He's eating with them. He's remembering God's redemption in Egypt. He is washing their feet. Would you think this is my last day on earth? You guys, you got to pamper me here today. No, not our Lord. He's washing their feet. And in Luke, when it records that scene in the Last Supper in the upper room, he says, with desire, I have desired to be with you. To have this feast with you. If the Lord Jesus the night before, the most horrific thing that's ever happened on this earth occurs to him. That he knows is going to happen. could do that. Think we could do that in cushy America? Maybe that's why we don't do it. Maybe that's why. But the day is coming when we'll wish we had.